0: You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons.
1: Good morning, Melbourne. You know really weird, Beefy? You sound it. My voice sounding a bit deep.
0: Oh, oh
2: my word. Like
1: I'm on steroids Conf- or something.
2: Confuse me then, <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> Who's this bloke in the other other side of the studio? What's going on there?
1: Deep voice is one of the side effects that a lot of the East German athletes actually got when they were doping back in the, I think it was the 70s or the 80s.
2: Yep, deep voice.
1: There's a pretty nasty effects there as well. I mean, there was one particular shot putter, a lady called Hannah Krieger. Mm. She took a huge amount of anabolic steroids since she was really young and her body just took on the shape of a male. So uh, I think when she grew up, she ended up having a sex change operation because essentially she looked like a bloke. Well, she had, I mean, she'd go out, she'd wear a dress. People thought she was a transvestite. They thought she was a bloke anyway. Well,
2: we all remember the Chinese swimmers that kind of turned up in Sydney, just the horrendous,
3: huge
2: triangular shape with massive shoulders and uh, yeah, they got away with it too, die.
1: Generally, Asians have a very petite, small, you know, very tiny bodies.
2: They kind of turned up and went away again after that. Not it was good. horrendous. The systematic doping, I mean, obviously we talked to Lisa Curry last week about this whole program, and it's it's still yet to be officially endorsed by the IOC. As, yeah, there's a problem. They just sweep it under the carpet. We're
1: going to speak to a guy called Alistair Birch this morning. He's a reporter, and he's actually had a lot of contact with what's actually called failed East German athletes who were on the doping program. That basically means they didn't win any medals, but they they got all the horrendous side effects from the treatment,
2: which is pretty awful. So they were in the program, but uh, didn't get the rewards. In fact, got far from the rewards. In fact, they got a whole host of side effects. That's
1: horrible, but he's he's met a lot of them in person, so he'll tell us what what it was actually like. It's been interesting in the world of tennis this week. (laughs) Uh, We've got the French. Open. I love this one. Federer's doing really well. His his celebrity, however, does not save him from the fashion police. Federer's favourite colour on on court at the moment is actually a pale brown. Pale brown? He's been described as a stylish turd. Oh, really? (laughs) And his outfit has been compared to that of a US delivery company, UPS. He says he was trying to go back to a time in the 1970s. I wonder what Nick Kyrgios might have worn to the French Open.
2: Well, that's if he turned up. He cited that he was ill. He put a video on Instagram saying that he hated Roland Garros <laughs> and he hated the French Open. He was practicing with Andy Murray at Wimbledon. Yeah. French Open was a couple of days later. Pulled out with illness, but yeah. the new rules of tennis, if you're going to pull out of a tournament, if you still want to get paid, you actually have to turn up to the tournament and withdraw. Nick didn't even bother. How much would he have got? $40,000.
1: For getting out of bed?
2: For just turning up, going to Roland Garris, pulling out the tournament, he would have got $40,000. did not even bother.
1: You know, if he's sick, couldn't he get his mum to turn up?
2: Write a note. That's what my mum would do. Yeah, so he didn't even bother. But Bernie Tomic probably should have done the same because he might as well have not turned up the effort he put in in the first round.
1: What did he do exactly on the well, court?
2: He lost the first set in 21 minutes. That's yeah. pretty damn quick. He was walking past serves. So the guy was serving. He wasn't even playing a shot. He was just walking off.
1: Why would he do that? Oh,
2: it's Bernie. So he got paid $75,000 Die for basically tanking in the first round. He got a bit more for actually getting dressed in the morning and uh, putting on some shoes.
1: So all you have to do is get out of bed and you get $40,000. That's even more than that supermodel, Linda Evangelista, who said, I won't get out of bed for less than $1,000 a day. 10000 Oh, 10000
2: 10000 10, Yeah, that's right.
1: How much would you get out of bed for?
2: Well, I'm going in a minute. It's a tenner.
1: Don't talk $10,000. $10. Yeah, yeah, All right.
2: Bernie got asked in the press conference afterwards whether um, he thought he tried in the first round, and he said, hmm, hmm, yeah, pretty sure I did.
1: Why would you do that?
2: It's an enigma. Oh, it's, it's an enigma.
1: It's a weird thing to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Hey, if you'd like to uh, give us a call this morning, maybe weigh in on the doping scandal, we will be talking a bit about that.
2: Or if you've got any views on the twat twins. Who's the twat twins? Kirios and Tomich. <laughs>
1: Did you coin that or did you really? No, we've
2: coined that a long (laughs) time. Just the way they behave is ridiculous. The Twat Twins. You're listening to The Bucket List.
1: Good morning, we're chatting with Alistair Birch, He's joining us this morning. Hello Alistair, how are you? Good morning, great. You actually spent quite a bit of time overseas and you came across quite a few former East German athletes who'd actually taken part in the doping program. How did you actually come across them?
4: I was working in the 90s in former East Berlin and newly reunified Berlin, I should say, in Germany. And it was a real melting pot. It was a mix of civil servants from West Germany, a lot of people from the East being shown new ways of doing things and kind of building a new government together and sorting out all the mess that had been left behind when the communist regime collapsed and West Germany essentially took over the territory of former East Berlin and former East Germany.
1: Wow, amazing.
4: A couple of the colleagues I was working with, they were in their 30s, but in their 20s, they'd been elite sports people, elite sports women within the East German program. And they told me some Shocking stories about how they'd been fed tablets, being given injections by their sports doctors. I mean, doctors are people you normally trust, and they weren't told at all what was in these injections. They were often told they were just vitamins. They were the most strongest form of steroids, and they were doped up to the hilt without their consent. They were suffering now, 10 years later, real health issues. They were having all sorts of side effects. That friends of theirs had kids that were disabled it really got bad and the doctors who were in charge of that regime have since been prosecuted and not sent to jail strangely, fined which seems a bit bizarre. A lot of judicial work has gone into prosecuting the people behind all this dope.
1: Did the athletes that you saw, did they look different? Some of the women for instance or the men, did they look more like the opposite sex to you?
4: There's a natural variant in people anyway. The one woman I worked with perhaps her voice was slightly deeper than average but I wouldn't say that was something that would stand out. We never went down to the nitty-gritty about what specific her health problems were, but it was in the newspapers of quite a few former athletes who were not doing very well.
2: It's amazing what you say, Alistair, when you mention that the doctors you know, were prosecuted but only fined. We see the, uh, the Russian doctor employed by the government to make sure they brought back gold medals, and it's quite an amazing eye-opener about the world of doping and systematic
4: doping. It's the same system. Strangely enough, a lot of the doctors from East Germany ended up fleeing to Austria, where they carried on working. Um, Hopefully not in the doping scene, but they are uh, active still today in the performance sports area. And a lot of compromises had to be made when East Germany was wound up. Some people got away with doping. Some people were sent to jails. We should just be grateful that this level of organised doping in in East Germany is over, and keep our eyes out for it happening in other countries.
2: We talked to uh, Lisa curry last week uh, she's obviously gone to the IOC and they're literally doing bugger all about it and they won't take action
4: I would be very surprised if they change anything. Mm-hmm. If you start maybe enforcing the rules retrospectively, who knows what's going to come out of this. A lot of the people who were involved at the time have retired are no longer in positions of authority. The records back then, before the age of computers and so on, probably all on paper, probably don't exist anymore. It would be very difficult to uh, unpick this. I think anyone who earned a gold medal, and I use that word advisedly under the doping scheme, certainly already has an asterisk next to their name. Yeah. These gold medals are not worth as much as modern day athletes. I think that's as far as we can go so far after the event.
1: Yeah, I think it's just too hard. I've got to say, on, on, a, on a light note though, you just came back from Tel Aviv. You were actually at the Eurovision Song Contest. What was that like? That would have been great.
4: Absolutely crazy. You know, Isn't it great that an event started on SBS almost 40 years ago for migrants like myself to keep in touch with the old country. It's now gone really mainstream. Everyone takes part and we're feeding back our own Australian culture into the European Scene. I mean, with, originally with Guy, Sebastian, now Kate Miller, Heidke. That bendy pole thing, <laughs> that was actually a product of Melbourne, the Strange Fruit Company. They're kind of like the Cirque du Soleil of Australia. Ah. Never been done before. It looked absolutely stunning on the stage. It looked absolutely stunning on TV. And coming in the top 10 really is a great result for us this year. We've punched above our weight in the five years we've been competing. GAMI came, I think, second. We came top 10 this year. I would suspect maybe within a decade it'll be Australia's chance to to host Eurovision somewhere in Europe.
1: Let's just hope. Thank you so much for having a chat with us this morning. We're talking about Eurovision and the systematic doping in East Germany. Alistair Birch on the bucket list jason lambert he is australia's number one ranked pinball player and he's off to the world championships in italy next month welcome jason to the bucket list
5: yes good morning guys thanks
1: for having me how did you actually get into playing pinball
5: to be honest, the uh, earliest memory I have from when I was about four or five years old, mum and dad would go uh, bowl their weekly league at the bowling centre. We'd try and sneak off every now and again and go and watch the video games being played, and pinball always caught my eye and just sort of wait around and, and hope that, that the adults that were playing the games would give us a free game or something like that. So certainly the earliest memory of it. Everyone
2: loves playing pinball. They all got their favourite machines Terminator, oh, Kiss is a big favourite one. Uh, Playboy? Playboy. What about,
0: what about yourself?
2: <laughs> I can actually tell you from experience, I did go to the Australian Championships that were on it in Melbourne a couple of years ago, and they just imported two brand new Game of Thrones machines to play the Championships on. So, have you got a favourite machine?
5: I have to say, hands down, my favourite is actually probably the Guns N' Roses machine, from the mid-90s. Love playing the game with the, the Guns and Roses tunes, playing in the that. background, and uh, relatively the uh, theme to play as well. Something a little bit more recent, I guess, would probably be the Star Trek machine. Pretty easy game rules on it as well what makes a good pinball player it's just basically learning the games correct strategies proper techniques got to uh, <laughs> maneuver the ball to get the best out of it really
1: but jason i played recently pinball um, what can you do though if the ball is literally coming straight through the center at the other side how do you move it i mean if the flippers can't actually get to the ball
5: not that I recommend doing this or anything like that, but it can also slide the machine just a fraction, just to alter the trajectory of the ball, I guess. That'll certainly help it. Uh, you're also running the risk of tilting and losing the ball anyway. So
1: you've been the the pinball wizard for the last six years, a professional pinball player.
5: Oh, I definitely play in at least one competition a week. I mean, competitions that can sound pretty serious, but for the most part, it's all pretty fun, very, very social.
1: How many hours a day do you need to
5: practice? I can spend sometimes six or seven hours in a row just uh, playing games. If I if I could play them all day, every day, I probably would, to be honest.
2: <laughs> You're off to Italy for the World Championships next
5: week.
1: How many days is the pinball competition over?
5: Three days.
1: And what's the prize?
5: Uh, the winner picks up a huge trophy, $1,000 US, and a brand new pinball machine as well.
2: Very nice. If you guys are the best in the world, these games could go on for
5: hours. You're really going to get that
1: value for a dollar.
5: Very true, and spend expensive dollar going to Italy, of course. Usually, in a big competition such as this, they actually do set up the machines a little bit harder. Tilt is usually set a little bit more sensitive. They're also manipulated a little bit more, so it's harder to keep the ball in play. So it does keep the gameplay down just a fraction. But having eight rounds over basically one and a half days allows plenty of time for that. There was a
1: resurgence though, it has become popular again, what do you attribute that to?
5: There was a nationwide competition which coincided with the release of the ACDC pinball machine back in 2012. The idea was that you're able to go into your local arcade usually a time zone because time zone sponsored the event, go in post the high score on the ACDC machine. All the top qualifiers in all the different stores in your state went towards the state final the winners of the state final then went on to the national final which was held in Sydney the winner of the national final won a ACDC pinball machines sort of branch out from there.
1: What countries is the most popular in?
5: US currently has the most number of ranked players in the world at about 23,000, I think second is Canada with about three and a half thousand and then we're followed close behind with about two and a half thousand ranked players.
1: Have you ever been to the Budapest Pinball Museum which has hundreds of pinball machines?
5: No, no, I certainly heard about it though and it uh, definitely would be something that I wouldn't mind getting to but actually Italy is my first long distance trip actually.
2: We're excited Jason and we wish you the best of luck. Jason Lambert, he is the Australian number one ranked pinball player. He's off to Italy to compete for Australia in the World Championships next week. Jason, we look forward to talking to you when you're back, hopefully with that World Championship Trophy.
0: This is the Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons.
1: This morning, we are chatting to Guy Micklethwaite.
6: Guy, we got you watching the um, the Europa League final from Azerbaijan. You know, it's on the bucket list of many soccer fans to go and see their team play in a European final. But with it being in Baku, Azerbaijan, it's right over by the Caspian Sea. It's 8,000-kilometre round trip from London. And there's only one direct flight, and so that filled up pretty quickly. They were going for £800 pounds a ticket. The so fans had to fly to Istanbul, then change to get to Georgia... Get a bus to Tbilisi, like a a 13-hour train down to (laughs) Baku. The clubs returned like half their allocated tickets because the fans just couldn't get there.
2: Quite a sad sight, actually, seeing uh, quite a lot of empty seats at the stadium for uh, a showpiece final like the Europa League.
6: Yeah, and there's a bit of controversy actually because the stadium just opened up the doors 30 minutes into the game just to let anybody get in. So oh, wow. the, loads of kids piled in and a lot of locals and adults came in and started to just try and fill up the stadium. They positioned the uh, the cameras so high up in the, in the ground so that they were look, looking down so that they didn't see all the empty seats. So they were hiding most of the empty seats. Oh, wow. And then the other controversy with this venue, of course, is that Armenians are not allowed to go in to Azerbaijan because yeah. they have some kind of dispute. And one of the Arsenal players is Armenian.
2: Yes, he was. And they yeah.
6: said that you know, Mikatarian they said they'd give him a visa, they'd make an exception, he could come in. But then he got lots of death threats, so he just decided not to go. Yeah, crazy. When politics gets in the way of sport, hey, Guy? Yeah, and then then the game, we get to the match. And I think, actually, both the teams boycotted the game because in that first <laughs> half,
2: neither of them wanted to play. I did see <laughs> online that they, they were calling it Chelsea's first pre-season friendly.
6: Second half, Chelsea stepped it up and, and scored four goals and won 4-1. And it actually became it was quite a good game in the second half, but the first half was very uninspiring.
2: Not sure whether UEFA will try and bring these Europa League finals to these off-the-beaten-track places. I think they need the better publicity as much as anyone right now.
6: Well, yeah. I mean, the Champions League game tonight is going to be in Madrid, which is a lot easier for fans to get to. Even from Australia, I've got plenty of mates who, as soon as they heard, they bought tickets to Madrid and they've flown over there without tickets. They're trying to get into the game. And I've got friends scrambling around for tickets. It's quite interesting, actually, where they've got them from. There's one guy who got a ticket. because One of our friends here is quite wealthy and he Owns a soccer club in Ireland, and all the owners of soccer clubs get, get given a ticket. So oh. he got his ticket up um, in. I've got other friends that got tickets through Foxtel here in Australia. Executives there they get tickets, and he got one from there.
2: It's going to be uh, an interesting game tonight. They reckon there's about 160,000 Brits in Madrid right now. You can imagine the atmosphere in Madrid. It's uh, turning. It's turning red and white.
6: Yeah, I'll be looking forward to watching the game uh, in the early hours of the morning tomorrow you're
2: off to italy fairly soon
6: yep i'm planning to go off to italy to uh to go and play in an over 50 soccer tournament there that
2: yeah. should be fun look forward to talking to you guy when you come back from italy we want to hear all the dirty stories of this masters tournament it's great so, noon. thanks for having me on
1: guy micklethwaite on the bucket list and this morning we're chatting to tom reynolds from cycling australia
7: we're
2: going to talk about bmx
7: The fun thing about BMX is the vision we all have is it's one of the first bikes that most people learn to ride on. And then the next thing you do is you get out a plank of wood and a brick and you do a jump (laughs) and then you crash and someone yells out, someone get mum. And that's how it goes from there. Freestyle BMX has come in as an Olympic sport. It'll be the first time. Tokyo next year. 2018 was the first time we saw a world title with the Rainbow bands, And that was won by an Australian, Logan Martin. We've got Brandon Lupos and Logan Martin who are in the top three in the world go to the olympics in freestyle bmx and i think it'll be i think they'll become super famous and the sport will really get a shot in the arm it is nothing but action it's fantastic it's short the time of their competition they've got a big park with lots of jumps and you're going to see some amazing performances
2: now logan he is one of the favorites going into tokyo he has just spent a lot of money upgrading his backyard
7: yeah his local bmx freestyle area has closed so He's pretty famous. He's got a couple of million followers on social media. Well, and he had enough money to park in the backyard that he thinks replicates what we think will be the Tokyo course. He's got an amazing facility. He's inviting some mates along. And I think Australia will probably get two spots at the Olympics. Most countries will get one, but because of their high overall ranking, we'll see both of them in there with a genuine silver and gold opportunity.
1: That's Tom Reynolds from Cycling Australia on the Bucket List.
0: Listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons.
1: And this morning we're speaking to ex-Swansea City professional and Brian Coakley. Brian, are you looking forward to the Champions League final tonight? Is it going to be a late one for you?
3: Yeah, Tottenham first time in the Champions League final. Liverpool there again, you know, after all these years, wonderful history there for Liverpool. So uh, it's going to be an excellent game, isn't
2: it? Were you really expecting Tottenham to get this far? Absolutely not. People forgot was last year in the World Cup
3: Spurs had the biggest representation of World Cup players of any club. so when they came and start the season, uh, they basically had a lot of players who'd been playing right through the summer
2: and hadn't had that break. This is the biggest club match in the world in fact some people even say it gets more people watching than the world cup final which is quite amazing
3: uh, yeah i would agree with that there's so much interest with fifa games all the best players in the world are now in europe and largely they're in england it's no surprise really that's an all-english final
2: tell us about your journey bryas we were on swansea city's books when you were a youngster and then you came out and played for wollongong swansea city on
3: uh, back in the day and then traveled over to australia and uh, played with eddie thompson at sydney city for a while and then uh, and then off down to Wollongong where we had a great couple of seasons there. Uh, eventually
2: winning the uh, the old National League. Let's talk the game tonight. Who do you expect to take out the Chockeys? I'm going to edge it for Liverpool 2-0. If there's one derby game on the planet or a stadium you want to get to and go and watch a football match, which one would it be?
3: Tottenham Arsenal in the new stadium. That would be, uh, that would be a cracker as well. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. Enjoy your breakfast. Thanks very much. Uh, he does speak a bit
1: beef, doesn't he? <laughs> Brian Coakley, the ex-Swansea professional player and huge Tottenham fan, on the bucket list.
2: I've been touched this week by tragedy. They've discovered the body of a young woman called Courtney Heron. Yeah, Courtney was actually my stepdaughter. Oh, so um, there was a vigil in Royal Park last night, which uh, I attended, obviously. Really, really well supported. Just amazing to see so many people out there supporting. My marriage with the mother of Courtney broke down a while ago, but no matter what status our relationship is it you wouldn't wish this on anyone. It's a really hard thing to go through.
1: Do you know what Courtney's state of mind was like or what led her to this?
2: No, I don't think anyone really does. She was a troubled child. It was reported that Courtney's been kind of living on the streets probably on and off for the last two or three years. Crazy.
1: Was her mother not able to help her?
2: No, she tried. She definitely tried time and time again and chased her and uh, tried to give her that support. My heart goes out to the Heron family, Maxie, Christopher and my daughter You must be going through absolute hell this week. I'm so
1: sorry to hear that. It's all right? just like to thank everybody for listening to The Bucket List this weekend.
2: Sorry to end on a good
6: note, on a bad note, sorry.
1: And we'll definitely catch you next week.
6: Does your sporting club or community group need help with fundraising? My Club Shop is your essential fundraising partner. This free service is simple to use and can provide a -a 12-month-a-year revenue stream. With support from great companies like Samsung and TCL and new features being added daily, this revolutionary platform is a complete game-changer. Did we mention it's all free? All you have to do is log on to myclubshop.com.au to register your interest and one of our friendly team will get in touch straight away. That's myclubshop.com.au.
1: It's SEM Plus this morning. We are speaking to Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays and we have the Isle of Man on at the moment. Tell me, where is the Isle of Man?
0: In between Northern Ireland, Ireland... Scotland, the United Kingdom and Wales in the Irish Sea.
1: Now, I believe more people actually attend the event than actually live on the island. Is that correct?
0: It goes to show just how popular uh, the event is. 80,000 people live on the Isle of Man. We expect that to double during any race week that the TT is on. So 160,000 people during the event. Unbelievable.
2: Isle of Man itself, there's not much accommodation on the island and basically the whole island shuts down for this event. You have got the best accommodation money can buy and actually money can't buy it you have to have special access like you guys have got
0: accommodation is really difficult on the island we actually have contracted the biggest hotel on the island 133 rooms the palace hotel and casino it's right in the heart of douglas being the main part of the isle of man it gives us a great opportunity to offer some great packages and some great things to our clients so they don't miss out
2: tell us about some of the actual the super special things that you guys put on?
0: When our clients arrive, we do a lap of the TT course with a TT legend and current rider in a coach. So they get some incredible insights from a rider's perspective. That night, just before race day one, we give them access to an official VIP suite. They get access to the suite, to a VIP grandstand, the start line, and it's for the last practice that evening. There's buffet dinner and drinks included, and it's an opportunity to meet some special guests, mingle with fellow tour participants right at the start of the tour. The next night, we do a TT Riders panel dinner. One of the best things we do over the weekend, over the course of the week, it's hosted by two-time TT winner and event ambassador, Cam Donald. Absolute legend of the sport. There's a panel of past and and present riders. It's the who's who of road racing, guys like John McGuinness, Ian Hutchinson, Bruce Anstey, Australian Davo Johnson and more. It's an opportunity to ask some questions, get autographs and photos, and, and dinner and drinks are included. The next one's the kicker. This is the biggest one. We offer our clients that buy one of our escorted tour packages access to hospitality at the world-famous Craig Nye Byer pub. So it's, it's one of the most special and exclusive experiences we do across all our product, not just the Isle of Man. Probably the best vantage point on the circuit. It has an amazing balcony with amazing views, full-day hospitality, only 80 people over the four days get to experience it, and sports, it has it for two days exclusively for our guests. An absolute winner. People talk about that for the rest of their lives. We do a farewell drinks at the end. We shout our clients a few drinks. We invite a few riders along amongst other things.
1: When it comes to the riders careers how long do they generally go for because this is a very dangerous race on the Isle of Man TT
0: certainly is. Riders like John McGuinness, he's the Tiger Woods of of road racing. He's been competing for more than 20 years. He has won numerous times on the road racing circuit, especially at the Ironman TT. Some riders, they quit after only a year or two, simply to say that they've they've competed uh, in the event and survived. (laughs) Where other riders, their careers are cut short, whether it's by injury or potentially something worse. Certainly quite a dangerous event.
2: Unfortunately, over the last four or five years, three to four riders have actually passed away doing this event of late. The one unbelievable thing about the Isle of Man TT die is you literally stand on the side of the track millimetres away from these bikes doing 250 to 300 kilometres an hour. That's how close you get. It's
0: incredible.
1: Daniel, if you do want to book for the following Isle of Man TT, what are the dates?
0: Next year, we are already on sale for next year, believe it or not. Starts a week later in 2020, so race day one will be on the 6th of June, race day two the 8th of June, race day three the 10th of June, and race day four the 12th of June. Just for everyone's reference, the reason why they leave a gap in between is because at times the weather on the Isle of Man can be a bit inclement, a bit unpredictable. The race organisers need the flexibility, if they have to cancel the race, that they can just reschedule it for the next day. We've actually got about 400 people over there today at the moment. We've got five Sportsnet staff. There's a number of reasons. Reasons that to book with sports It's a difficult event. It's difficult to get accommodation. It's difficult to get flights. It's difficult to get to and from the island. It's difficult to get around the island during the event. And then when a race day is cancelled, we look after all of that for our clients. We make sure that they're they're kept up to date, and we make sure that when it is rescheduled, that we seamlessly get them to and from the uh, the race day again.
2: And that's why you should book with Sportsnet Holidays. They look after you. They put on all the best things that money can buy. You will get a never to be repeated experience, apart from the next time you go with Sportsnet Holidays. If you want to book for the Isle of Man TT for <laughs> like 2020, it. you need to ring Daniel Ciccone. He's on one 888 858 Give him a bell, one 888 858
1: Or sportsnetholidays.com. That's sportsnetholidays.com.